welcome back to the Grindhouse Girls podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Katie. My co-host is Brittany, and this is a podcast about many strange and spoopy movies. We cover a lot of independent movies and a lot of horror movies, and we do want to caution before starting the podcast that listener discretion is advised, and a lot of subject matter we cover is not appropriate for children and can be quite sensitive. So if that sounds like something that's up your alley, keep on listening. If not, thanks for stopping by and on to the podcast. Ship held death with trouble dread. Make the oceans caves our bed. God hears the surges roll, deign to save our suppliant soul. Two four weeks. Two four weeks. <laughs> Hi, I'm Katie. Hey, and I'm Brittany. And this is the Grindhouse Girls podcast, and we watched The Lighthouse. <laughs> oh my god, I am so excited to talk about it. What about you, Katie? Are you excited? I'm very excited. I've watched it twice now. Um, it's such a fun movie. I guess we should go... Spo- I mean, I, we should go spoiler-free, but also, like, it's hard to think where to cut yourself off because it's such a... Uh, roller coaster of a movie, you know. Uh, but since this was your movie to pick out, Brittany, I'm gonna let you lead okay. our discussion. Sounds good. Um, so with the lighthouse, Robert Eggers overcame the sophomore slump with his second feature film debut. So this is obviously his second movie after the witch or the bitch, as we like to call it, being his first. Set in New England in the 1890s, it tells the story of two lighthouse keepers, one a seasoned and eccentric veteran, and the other a novice rookie. Together, they fight the elements and one another as they struggle to keep sane in their isolated surroundings. I couldn't have said it better myself, Brittany. (laughs) I love this movie. I love the fact that uh, Robert Eggers wrote it with his brother, Max. And it was just supposed to be like a ghost story in a lighthouse. And it is, but it uh it's just something else altogether. It's such a weird and wonderful little movie. And I heard about it like all 2019. All I could hear about was the lighthouse, the lighthouse. It's amazing. It's the best movie of the year. It's so great. It's gonna win a thousand Oscars. And then I think it got nominated for like one. Yes. And which was- I was what? I said yes, ma'am, and it was cinematography, it was nominated. Yes. Which I don't think it won either, which is sad because their cinematography is so complicated in this movie. It has a very uh, unique look. It's like black and white. It's it's black and white on actual film. And uh, they used a orthochromatic filter because they couldn't use actual orthochromatic. I can't remember if it was lenses or film, but they couldn't actually use the real stuff. So they developed a filter to use to bring out all the dirt and grime on everybody's faces and make them look real nasty. And then they have a, a, well, their aspect ratio is one by 19 by one, but basically in layman's terms, it's a square, which is how movies used to be filmed. And like the whole time I was reminded of um, the black and white movie in the ring or my favorite scary movie three, which makes fun of the ring. There was a lot of scenes where I was just like, I feel like they could have just put this in the ring, like, little videotape, and we wouldn't have known the difference, because it looks similar. Yeah, it's very funny. Well, Katie, 
I know you love to talk about this, so why won't you why won't you tell us a little bit about the acting in this movie, in particular the actors? Oh, okay. So, okay. First of all, I have to apologize to one of my dear friends, Elizabeth. <laughs> I love you, Elizabeth. I hope you're listening. Uh, <laughs> she loved Robert Pattinson when we were very a lot, not very young, but in college. I drug her to the first Twilight movie, which ironically, Brittany and I were both at the opening night of the first Twilight movie in separate groups. Brittany went with my boyfriend as friends, but she went in a group with my boyfriend and I went with my friend Elizabeth because I had like bought tickets from someone who couldn't go. And I was just like, I don't know. I read the first book. I'll go watch it. I hated Twilight. I thought it was terrible. And I liked Robert Pattinson in Harry Potter. I thought, oh, he's a really good Cedric Diggory, but... I got real, um, I really thought he was a really crappy actor because of Twilight, because you can tell he's not trying very hard in Twilight. Um, but after seeing this movie, it makes me want to see more of his more recent movies, because I've been kind of avoiding Robert Pattinson movies, honestly. But Robert Pattinson plays, well, he's got, well, should we, I guess we'll call him Winslow for now. Yes. Um, <laughs> he plays Winslow. Um, and, uh, Willem Dafoe, oh, I love Willem Dafoe, plays mm-hmm. Thomas Wake. And so, uh, Winslow is a very young guy who's just starting out the wiki life, which makes me laugh. It sounds like something like a furry or something. Are you a wiki? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what, what is that? Oh, okay. All right. Whatever. Um, and he has a lot of problems with authority and Willem Dafoe plays an older sea captain who is like in charge of the lighthouse and the whole process they are just at each other's uh, the whole process they're just at each other's throats and the acting process was so it was so unique it's like the right way of method acting i don't know maybe there's not a correct way but this seemed like the most normal way of method acting um because they were in a real lighthouse that they had built there were terrible working conditions, but they knew it. Like everybody knew this going in. Like Robert Eggman, like it again. It, this isn't like what, what was the movie? Oh, Last Tango in Paris. It's not like the butter thing in Last Tango in Paris. Everybody knew what they were signing up for. Everybody wanted to do this weird and wonderful movie. Um, and Willem Dafoe uh, said it really nicely. He was like, you know, I didn't have to work very hard at acting like I was cold because we actually were cold. And it's interesting. They didn't really. Um, talk to each other they did they, they did a lot of rehearsals but Willem Dafoe in an interview said they did all the blocking very backwards like usually you would block the scene and then figure out what the cameras go but because they were using these older cameras where they I guess they took up more space and they were just harder to work with they actually mapped out where the cameras go and they based all their blocking on that so the acting process was very backwards than how you usually film a film which, I don't know, I've only filmed, like, my own stuff and a student film, so I, I don't have that much experience, but I thought that was really interesting, and they said it kind of gave them a really good obstacle, and the conditions were so bad, nobody really talked to each other, nobody, like, hung out after work, they all just went to bed, so it, it kind of created this animosity between Willem Dafoe and Rob Pattinson and they really are, like, going at each other, even though, like, they were perfectly professional on set. And it's funny. Apparently, afterwards, they were doing, like, press. And Willem Dafoe, 
they were like, and Rob Pattinson were like interviewing each other for, I think, Interview Magazine. And then they realized like they were thinking the same thing the whole time. So the, the acting's very interesting. It's very um, transportive is what Robert Eggers says a lot. He wants to transport audiences into like the past. That's why he puts people in the past so they can be, you know, transported into the film, like into the body of the film. So Robert Eggers and Max Eggers uh, based their incredibly accurate language on the writings of Sarah Orne Jewett. Never heard of her before, but apparently she, in the 19th century, actually interviewed a lot of sailors in Maine. And that's, and she wrote it down in their vernacular and their actual colloquialisms so that's why everything sounds real weird but it really transported the actors i mean i just keep saying transport but so does robert eggers so i guess it's okay um but yeah i just the acting is so good in this movie and it's so powerful and again i have to apologize to rob pattinson for thinking he's a bad actor he just needed a good script and a good director um and willem dafoe is just he's just so good they're just both so good they're just going at each other the whole time it's great I love it. How do you feel about the acting, Brittany? Yeah, I thought it was really, really, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on there. And the dialect, I heard that um, when they were writing this specific dialect, it's like you said, they were they were really using this woman's writing because she was writing, she was doing these interviews, interviews with like sailors, and she was writing phonetically their dialects. And mm-hmm. so when they were uh, creating the script for this film, I think I read that they kept the same nine, like, dial. there's, like, nine pieces of the dialect that William Defoe's character always falls back into, and there's 12 pieces of a dialect that Robert Patterson's character falls back into. So, you can hang, you can hear those trends throughout their whole dialect in the movie, which is amazing. I mean, um, especially, okay, so I feel like I'm going to get into spoiler territory with this so, one. And I, yeah, I guess yeah. before we go to spoilers... Yeah. Would we recommend this movie? I oh, say absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. It's a masterpiece. Um, and honestly, Robert Eggers, I, I've been watching a bunch of interviews with him. I wish I had watched it before we reviewed The Witch. It's a lesson learned. I'm going to watch more interviews of directors. Because he's, like, such a cool, like, not full of himself director. He's just like, uh, I'm a wannabe auteur. But he doesn't even say auteur, like like a douchebag director would he's just such a nice dude and um he's really good and uh you should see any of his movies but this movie's I'm really upset it didn't get nominated for more stuff because I feel like it got ignored by non-cinema files like people that go to film festivals loved it and everyone loved it but I don't think a lot of people outside that did I don't think anyone saw it. So it is on Amazon Prime. You should totally watch it. It is. I'm pretty sure it's rated R. It's pretty. Yeah. I don't want to say graphic. It's not really graphic. There are moments of violence. But one. It's in black and white. And that always seems less violent. In my opinion. It's like. Maybe it's because. I found out at a young age. That they used to use chocolate syrup. For blood in a psycho and ever since then like black and white blood i'm like it's just chocolate syrup it's fine it's great i would say say we need to warn them there is some mermaid labia going on there so (laughs) yeah there's a there's a that i heard about that before i heard anything else about the plot after like the i mean i'd heard about it when it was in production and then 
the first thing I hear is like, there's fish vagina. And I was like, what? Why is there? And it's, so Robert Eggers likes a lot of folklore. That's why he did the witch as folklore. Cause the witches were a huge part of puritanical America. Whereas mermaids and like sea monsters and things are folklore of the sea. So because they're like on a rock in the middle of the ocean, there's a lot of mermaid imagery. So I would highly recommend it, but I would not recommend it for people that are upset by naked ladies yeah. or uh, a completely nude Willem Dafoe at one point. But you don't see anyone's junk. Oh, and there's yeah. a lot of masturbation, which I... I, I is it just me or are they showing masturbation more in TV shows and movies? I feel like every show <laughs> I watch now... I feel like male masturbation, not female masturbation. At Miss in Mr. Robot, there's one character, and they do it. It's a. This sounds terrible. Okay, anyways, we recommend it, but I'm gonna segue yeah. for a second, though. Oh yeah. Anyways, I guess we should go back to the discussion about the movie. Yes, and so what we were, um, and we are officially friends in the spoiler territory. Um, I hope yes. you have before you click on this link to watch, um, to listen to us talk about this specific movie. I hope you have turned into it, or at least go, huh. I'm gonna watch that before um, I watch this episode. Um, it's only put- it's only 95 minutes. It's like and yeah. five of those is at least credits. At least five is credits. It's a very short. It's like bare minimum movie length, which I think is perfect for such a bizarre movie. You don't. It's not like I love Twin Peaks, but some of season three of Twin Peaks was a whole lot of just weird stuff for like an entire hour, and you weren't really sure where it was going. So this is not really like that. This is. Weird stuff, but only an hour and a half of weird stuff. And things do happen. So And I do and we do want to mention, um, which we have mentioned in past um blog posts, but in case that you guys are like maybe skipping around to listening to us. So you're like, okay, I haven't seen this movie, but I've seen this one. Um, of course, what we always try to do to the best of our abilities, we try to make sure the movies that we review are streaming. Uh so the lighthouse is available on Prime. It is free to watch on Prime. That being said, we're officially in spoiler zone. Okay, going spoilers. back to spoilers. <laughs> going back to the dialect, um, I did hear a few people have some commentary on uh, Rob Patterson's character. As we know, Robert Patterson is um, introduced as Winslow. We kind of find out about halfway for the movie that he's yeah. not really who he says he is. Um, a lot of people were trying to figure out if that was an acting choice that, like, his accent went back and forth. Like, if it was, like, oh, when he was trying to be Winslow, he had a certain dialect. Or if it was Rob Pat kind of losing elements of the dialect. What did you think about that, Katie? I gotta say, I did notice moments where his main accent was stronger. But mm-hmm. I didn't really notice it fluctuating a lot. It's And I kind of took it as he's lived in a couple different places and that's just how he talks. Because from a personal standpoint, my whole family's from Cincinnati, which is what my shirt says today. Um, <laughs> so, But I grew up in the South. So like my accent fluctuates depending on who I'm talking to, what I've been consuming beverage wise, and... Uh, who I'm around and where I am too. So like if I'm with my Southern friends and I'm really tired, I tend to get real Southern and I start saying y'all a lot. But if I'm with my family, I start getting real Yankee and talking like this all the time. And 
it's just kind of a natural thing. So I didn't really notice it as much. I didn't notice that at all. Maybe I'm not as observant as other people, but I was just kind of like, oh, I mean, like sometimes your accent is thicker and he's moved around a lot. Like he lived in Canada, which is Canada, but I love that they call it Canada because I accidentally call Canada Canada sometimes because mm-hmm. that's just my brain, I guess. Uh, but no, I feel really stupid that I didn't like notice that at all because I was just like, oh, his accent's a little stronger here. But I feel like, I feel like it was really strong when he was drunk and I feel like if it was like an acting choice, he would have backed off the accent when he was drunk. You know what I mean? Like if he was putting on an accent, he would have backed it up. So I think, I don't know, Robert Eggers does a lot of things purposefully, but he also like didn't mean for the witch to be like a feminist thing. He just was like witches are in folklore in the 1600s and he was like but if people find that meaning in my movie that's fine so I don't know if it's that deep what do you think yeah I I actually did think it was an acting choice just because to especially watching it the second time my ears were able so the first time I watched this movie I think I was just really like watching like oh my god what the fuck is going on here the second time yeah, the second time you're able to really pick up the smaller details because you kind of know where the story's heading versus the first time you have no idea where it's going. And so mm-hmm. I feel like the main time we kind of hear the accent change is when he's drunk. And then uh, after he tells him who what really happened, and then at the very end where he's like in that blind rage. So those are the, the three kind of I could hear it change. But I thought it was an acting choice because of that. I mean, this is the guy that he, you know, there's so much shit that, Robert Patterson does who I think I read somewhere that he smacks himself in the face before like a scene yeah I read that literally right before we started I hadn't seen it anywhere else and all of us I was like Rob Pattinson used to like hit himself in the face and I was like okay dude I mean whatever works I guess kind of as long as you're hurting yourself it's kind of that like I was thinking about Birdman and how Edward Norton's character is like I have to be really drunk I have to really have sex on stage and there was a lot of realism in this movie. Like, they really were on a rock, but they didn't get drunk. Like, that was, there was an interviewer that was asking, they're like, so, so, you guys got really drunk on set, right? And they're like, no, we were just acting. Yeah, you know, acting, it's a thing. Yeah. And they're That's good at it. One of my favorite Hollywood stories, and I probably could not tell it as good as other people. I'm so sorry. But um, I was reading about, when Dustin Hoffman was a marathon man and you know, he like his character goes for hell in that movie. And so there was a um, night before shooting where, you know, he came in the next day and his coworker was like, man, you look like shit. And he was like, yeah, you know, I stayed up, I stayed up all night, didn't get any sleep. He like ran like five miles. He didn't eat breakfast. There's all this shit that he had done to encapsulate what his character is going through. And his coworker who was like a more of a seasoned actor. He's like, Okay, but have you thought about just acting? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I mean, it's it's one of those things. I think method is really, really cool. Um, I don't have anything against it. um, But I think it can be a dangerous road sometimes when you choose to go that road. So, And I I think we've talked about this, the fact that a lot of people misconstrue what method acting is. A lot of people think you have to put yourself in this actual position but a lot of it is just accessing actual memories in your brain and using that is the official like method method but then I think it's also a blanket term for just bringing I think the colloquial that's not the right word I think the (laughs) colloquialism 
is method acting is realistic acting using a real life event or like actually doing something to prepare for a role, which I think I think is good, but I think can be really dangerous. Like I think of people that get really into their roles like Heath Ledger or um, Philip Seymour Hoffman and the stress of being perfect and getting into their character's headspace cost them their lives. And that's really sad. And I don't want that to happen to people. So if somebody can be drunk without having to drink or uh, act like a drug addict without having to experience heroin, I fully support that. I don't think you should have to do that to be a good actor. And if you have to do it, maybe don't choose those roles for yourself. If it's going to cost you your life or livelihood, it's probably not worth it. Just like any job. Any job that's going to put your life in danger probably isn't worth it. Unless, you know, you're, like, a soldier or something like that. Then God bless you. Yes. But it's just acting. Like, we don't need movies. I love movies, but we don't need them to survive. Um, Let's talk about the script. Yes. Oh, my God. So, I don't know about you, Katie, but um, as anyone who went to high school with me can attest, um, I was the English kid. Like, I was the kid in English that I would raise my hand Anytime the teacher is like, what do you think this could mean? I'm like, oh, I want to talk about what this could mean, okay? And <laughs> oh, yeah, that was me because I was, like, the only theater kid in, like, my whole class. And so I was like, I was like, me, I, I know what this means. I know. Let's, let's do Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. That was and me. That's, I love it. And I, and I got called, like, because you probably, because of the theater background, you understand, I often got called uh, to read out in classes because I would change the voices and stuff, and that's how I am. What I love about this is that, um, and I, I feel like uh, you probably will agree with me, this really, the lighthouse as a movie really reminded me of literature. It reminded me of something mm-hmm. you would read in, like, college or high school, and you would just be able to pick apart. Um what I saw in this script, and I loved it. I love, 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 love it. There was um, mythology, Greek mythology references. Um, there was some, uh, now this is a blanket term, um, the homoerotic undertones. And then there was also some Lovecraftian elements, so some Lovecraftian elements, as well as real folklore and history elements. So there was a nice little... like not conundrum a nice little tornado of all these things wrapped up in this one movie and it was Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. (laughs) wicked it was really interesting that i definitely wrote homoeroticism more than once in my notes um because there is it's it's very homoerotic like and i i don't know i don't see that as much in movies anymore but i found it interesting because it is a movie set in the past where like, these men, I mean, presumably straight men, because they both say, they both seem to like women. They, uh, the objects of their desire, be them real or imaginary, are feminine. Uh, the mermaid is a female. The light is a female. The light was interesting. I was like, is the light sex? Is the light a forbidden desire? What is the light? There's a bunch of layers in there. Um, but these two straight men are on this rock and the lack of, you know, loneliness, yes, but the lack of a female presence seems yeah. to drive them to madness, which I find interesting because uh, Robert Eggers, even when women are basically not in his movie, there is one other person in this movie 
who is a female who plays the mermaid, um, but she doesn't have any lines except screeching. Yeah. So, um, but, like, everything they do is, like, because they're desperate for some pussy. I mean, I, that sounds terrible. But they end up, the scene that always, like, sticks in my head is, well, too, is at some point they're really drunk and they start dancing together. And obviously in their heads they're envisioning a woman, but they almost kiss. And then they start fighting. And then, I think it's in a different scene. And there's another scene where they're fighting and they just, apparently... They just needed something more. And so just instinctually, this is the only thing that wasn't scripted in the script because apparently the script is very precise and everything was written out. Even the farts were scripted in this movie, which I love. The only thing that was improv was them grabbing each other's dicks during a fight, which does, it, it kind of comes and goes, but the first time it happened, I was like, oh, are they, okay. All right, so it's very, it is very homoerotic, and it's very, uh, I don't know, it's very interesting that the lack of femininity drives them to toxic masculinity and, like, violence, too. I, I will agree with the toxic masculinity, but I, I, I would, I don't want to say argue, because I think it's very open to interpretation, but the way I saw it was mm-hmm. that, so, Robert... So Winslow, Winslow, as I'll call him. Um, I kept calling him Tom because they both actually are Thomas. Yeah, Tom, but... Tom Tommy, Tommy. So <laughs> Tommy, oh Tom. Oh wait, that was the other thing. Was <laughs> so. Have you watched Muppet Treasure Island? And it's been years. <laughs> it is literally one of my absolute favorite movies of all times. If you've never seen Muppet Treasure Island, it's on Disney Plus, kids. I was so happy when it was on Disney Plus. Because I've been watching the same VHS of that movie for like a decade. Anyways, it is a very cute uh, Muppet interpretation of Treasure Island. Who, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson was from this time period. And they actually did reference him in some, like, for the language. Anyways, there are three characters that are side characters that have nothing to do with this. But all of their names are Tom. There's Old Tom, Really Really Old Tom, and Dead Tom. And at some point, Dead Tom dies, and they're like, Dead Tom's dead! Long John shot him! And they're like, but Dead Tom's always been dead! And then they just drop this corpse, it's great. Um, but <laughs> when we find out they're both actually Thomas, and they're both Toms, all I kept thinking was, Old Tom, Dead Tom, Old Tom, Dead Tom. And I was like, did Robert and Max Eggers like Muppet Treasure Island as children? Or is it just... It's also... Well, there's also a real story that this is based on, too. Which... Did you... I'm sure you read about that, too. Yes, yes. So, what Katie is referencing is the small... It's called the Smalls. The Smalls mm-hmm. Lighthouse mm-hmm. Reference. And um, it was basically where two wikis, both named Tom... Um, Thomas there Howell were, and yeah. Thomas Griffith. And Howell yeah. and Howard, because... Rob Pattinson's real name is Thomas Howard. I After I found this out, I kept writing his name wrong in my notes because I couldn't remember which one was which. But it was back in 1801, so the same time period. Go ahead, Brittany. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, you're good. You're good. Um, I, But yeah, and that's where um, basically what happened is that these poor wikis, they were isolated. There was a freak accident. I don't think I was able to find out what accident happened, but there yeah, was a freak accident. Yeah, and that's where I think it's kind of like even though it's based on history, there's a lot of folky elements to it because you can't find the real story, like, verbatim right. what happened. But 
But, um, you know, of course, one of the Toms died. And the other Tom, he was so scared that he, he was, was going to be. Tom. Yeah, he was the dead Tom. Exactly. He's so, dead Tom. Um, a live Tom was scared that, you know, people were going to think he murdered dead Tom. So he, he built a casket and left him outside and tied his body in the casket down. And he just went about his little wiki duties the best he could um, until they were able to come to the island. Um, and because of that, I don't know if you read this, Katie, but because of that, that is why instead of two lighthouse keepers, there always has to be three. Mm-hmm. Also, just an extra creep factor. Yes, I read that. So now that so until they had manu- um not manual, uh, automatic or whatever, robotic lighthouses, there had to be three light keepers from then on. But uh the creepiest part of the story is apparently because I guess he made a makeshift casket and the arm came out and mm. it would move in the weather like it was beckoning him and that's like where the ghost story element comes from which is so creepy but he was so emotionally exhausted and physically exhausted from I don't know they didn't say how excuse me they didn't say how long that it took him to uh be relieved of his duties but it must have been a while and you know it's too much for one person but he did survive but people didn't recognize him physically because he was so exhausted afterwards and um yeah it's very it's a very interesting little um tidbit of information i was like ooh, that's interesting just like the witch had some basis in reality this one does too and i think that's interesting yeah it's really cool. It's something that I went in. Supposedly there was like a movie that was, and you probably read this too, that there was a movie that was actually made about that incident um, that came out around 10 years ago now, which I, I never heard of it, but I do want to kind of see it now for sure. And it's called just, The Lighthouse. <laughs> and there's a there's a poem by, not poem, it's a short story by Edgar Allan Poe as well that's called The Lighthouse. That, this was, that was the original idea was the short story. And then... They kind of expanded it to be the story it was. It's very interesting yeah. stuff. So what what should we talk about next? Was there anything else oh. we were going to touch on? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to touch uh, back on, on the homoeroticism um, in it a little bit. So um, what I kind of took from it was that Winslow, so early on in the movie, um, Thomas makes a lot of comments and he makes this multiple times throughout the movie. He compares uh, Winslow to a, you know, pretty, pretty lady or, you know. Oh, yeah. He pretty says pretty as a guy. picture. He yeah. Says, pretty as a picture. How did you get to be a wiki? Yeah. It's like all these little comments. But even early on in the movie, Winslow never talks about women. Like even when he talks about his future, he talks about like buying a house and settling down. But he never like mentions gay married he um he asked his Tom, he asks him, he's like, Are you shame when you lie with a woman? But he doesn't tell any stories about lying with a woman. And so for me, I felt like there was definitely ambiguity around his sexuality. Yes, he he masturbates to the mermaid, but I can't tell if it was an acting choice the way he was masturbating, or if it was like he was really trying to, but he wasn't enjoying it. And a lot of the murder like you okay spoiler guys if we're already in spoiler territory yeah so obviously you just have to deal with it now yeah you have to deal <laughs> with it now so if Winslow, you're in this far exactly it's like we already written all kinds of shit for you so here we go um winslow um you you find out of course halfway from the movie his real name is thomas or tommy as thomas calls him tommy howard and that he had 
We're not really sure. So in, in his confection, when he spills the beans, as um, they say, he, he says... Was it just yeah. me or was it weird that all of a sudden after that scene, I'm sorry, I just like after that scene, there's the first voiceover in the entire movie is just Willem Dafoe going, why'd you spill your beans? Why'd you <laughs> spill your beans? I'm like, if someone woke me up to that, I would like piss myself. Okay. That's frightening. And I also have to say, it's like when my, after that is one of my favorite scenes, the entire movie It's that hypnosis. It's like that scene. And you see um, Thomas, like, Thomas's eyes are shining almost like the lighthouse. And it's yes. actually based on painting. Did it you is. see that? Yeah, yeah. I, heard, I heard him talk about it. And I was like, it was such a beautiful, like, framing. I was like, oh, this could be a picture. And then I read, I watched an interview. And he's like, I actually stole that from a painting. That's why I love Robert Eggers. He's like, no, nah, like, I stole that. Like, he's not afraid to be like, oh, no, like, I totally did not come up with that. I'm totally ripping something off, like. I just love when people can take that from their toolbox, their artist toolbox, but then they're just like, yeah, I stole that. It's fine. You know, it's a very, I think yeah. it's an old, is it, um, I have to, I have to actually go look at the painting because oh, oh, oh. I didn't write it down when I was going. It's a, so. um, so it's a painting from the, from that time period, like the late 1890s, early 1900s. And, and it was a German, German artist. And he was one of the first openly gay artists. Oh. Uh so maybe there's some subtext in there I really thought it was more of a loneliness thing but maybe I'm just not reading enough into it I can see any way though yeah Ugh. and that's where I guess I kind of went I'll, I'll wrap up a little bit just because there's a lot of things to still unpack I know um but I feel like with Tommy Tommy doesn't express any real interest in women he expressed his interest in the mermaid yes um but we once again we don't know how much of that is loneliness um he, but in those fantasies of the masturbation fantasies, he does see his foreman. He does see Winslow uh, while he's masturbating. So I'm not sure if that's a murder thing I, that murder is helping get him off. Or I mean, I took it as like a guilt murder thing. I kind of just thought he just was like, yeah. you know, when you're in like, I, don't know, I think of this episode of that 70s show. There's an episode of that 70s show where <laughs> they do a really good job of just being very... Um, metaphoric but basically like donna and eric are getting turned on and one of them's trying to stop getting turned on and one of them's trying to finish getting turned on and they're like thinking of things and like random things pop in their head so i i thought it was more of like you're so in your head when you're like having a sexual experience or masturbating that bad things can get in your head too so yeah. i thought it was more of a like he, the the cracks are starting because he's just so desperate and alone that he's can't stop masturbating something is like blooming in my nose itches i'm sorry um he can't stop masturbating because he's just so lonely and yeah. he's just so going insane like i don't it was more of a desperation act but i you know yeah i don't think anything's a wrong interpretation yeah i don't think anything's a wrong and now i feel kind of stupid for not seeing that but you know i think anything's okay i i kind of i got the homoeroticism it is pretty blunt Especially when they're grabbing each other's dicks. Um, but I think it is, usually when you have this kind of homoeroticism, it's more of people who are repressed. Yeah. Sexually. Whether yeah. they are gay and they're repressing it, or they're not, they're straight, but they don't have access to the opposite gender that they're attracted to. So they're reaching out for sexual gratification 
anywhere they'll find it. Which, that's kind of what I got, was they were just more lonely. I thought Willem Dafoe's character was more predatory towards Rob Pattinson's character, because he was was like, you're pretty as a picture. And he was kind of like, hey, he was was just such a manipulator in this whole movie. I felt so bad for um, Winslow. Yeah, and Thomas does uh, do, but it's really funny, because Thomas right off the bat kind of puts Tommy into very, I guess, traditional womanly duties. Like, you know, which is really interesting. He makes it, and he even says, like, Tommy literally said at one point, he's like, I didn't come here to be a housewife. And he's like, do what I want you to do. But it's funny, because he also, the biggest, and I think you you know exactly what I'm talking about, the greatest monologue in the movie, one of the greatest monologues I've seen in films in recent year, all starts over Tommy talking shit about Thomas's cooking. Oh yeah, and he just goes <laughs> off, and then at the end he's just like, "It's fine, I like your cooking. It's fine." Yeah, it's, you're just like, "Okay, why did you just fight then? What is going on?" <laughs> but this whole movie is just two insane people, or two presumably sane people going insane, and so anything that happens is just who knows. Also, who's crazy? Is old Tom crazy? Is young Tom crazy? We don't know. Like, they never tell us, and they both end up, like, just obliterated, basically, which is, I I don't know, it's just really sad, the whole thing. It's just depressing. But it's a good movie. I, when I think of Thomas, Thomas, I think about how it, it mentions, it touches on it that, you know, like, Tommy asked him if he was married, and he said he was, however, he views the lighthouse, like, there's a lot of interesting stuff with him in the lighthouse going on there's almost like a religious sexual awe happening with thomas in the lighthouse and i think that's very interesting did you want to touch upon that at all oh yeah well there's the whole concept of the light being is it sex is it gratification is it the light is it the end is it uh what i'm trying to say is it uh enlightenment is the light enlightenment like what is it uh it's very interesting i do love that scene where like so old tom's the only one allowed so that you know when you have a lighthouse which the only lighthouse reference i have is uh (laughs) pete's dragon from the old one not the new one because i still haven't seen the new one because i love the old pete's dragon so corny and adorable and candle on the water is like my favorite song is so corny anyways but in a lighthouse, you know, you have, like, the bottom, which is, like, your living quarters. Then you have some stairs. You maybe have other living quarters. And then you have, like, a door that goes to the top where the light's kept. And usually at this point, it was with gas. Which the scene where Rob Pattinson has to carry up, like, a 20-gallon thing of oil. And then he gets to the top. And Willem Dafoe's character's like, oh, you could have just used this thing. Make sure you bring that back downstairs. I was like, oh my god, I would have slugged him. Anyways, um, there's like a little trap door that only Willem Dafoe's character has a key to, and he says, I'm the keeper of the light. And it could be symbolic. I don't know, maybe the maybe light is gratification, is happiness. I don't know. But he's the only one that gets to experience it. But the first time we really see him alone, he's shirtless possibly completely naked up there that's a little odd then uh rob pattinson's character winslow uh looks up and he either imagines or actually sees willem dafoe's character like having a sexual experience with some kind of tentacle monster yeah i don't know is it cthulhu is it a mermaid 
I don't know. But uh, it's very interesting that that is happening. It almost reminded me, the mermaid almost reminded me, have you ever seen Angels in America? Oh, yeah. So there's the whole thing with, like, the angel has the face of a woman, but she has, like, eight vaginas and a couple dicks. Yeah. They go more into it in the actual play. I think they cut it out of the miniseries part. I feel like they said it, but I don't remember how they said it in the miniseries because it's been a long time since I've watched the miniseries. But it kind of reminded me of that. It's like, maybe the mermaid's just any kind of sexual pleasure. Like, it's that's why it's not a human. It's just any kind of pleasure at all. But one thing I did want to bring up is because there's so much rainy noises, rain puts me to sleep. And so yes. there, I did have to pull a Rob Pat and, like, smack myself and get up and walk, like, the first time I watched it because it is... One of those movies is so detail-oriented, but the sounds, to me, are very soft. Even the dialogue, and until the guys get mad or they're starting to yell, the dialogue is even kind of softer spoken. And See, so, I got really... Well, it is quiet. I did actually make a note that starts really quiet, and then once that foghorn starts, yeah, it's so relenting, and it almost never stops the whole movie. Like, I hated that foghorn. I was like, shut up. Stop it. I don't it's like it. The script. And so we touched a little bit on the homoeroticism that may, that's happening. We don't know to what extent it's happening, which is what me and Katie were both talking about, our kind of different interpretations of. We know it's there. We just don't know how much of it is meant to be right. transparent versus what's just kind of subconsciously there. But I did want to touch upon, I'm sure you came across this. Um, so we do know for sure the final shot in the movie Um which is a beautiful shot, by the way. It's of um, Winslow, a.k.a. Tommy, um, laying there. Uh, he obviously looks like, you can't tell, some people say it's a cockle over his eye. To me, it looks like the eye is missing, and he's getting his innards pecked apart by seagulls. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very, very obviously Prometheus-related. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, very, so much. Very mythology. I was like, wow, this is super familiar, you guys. Yeah, because um, that was Prometheus's uh, in hell. That's what he got to do. Yeah, is get get eaten alive by birds for yeah. all eternity. Yeah. Uh, super fun, and he is breathing. Yeah. I mean, oh, by the way, that's not Rob Pattinson because he totally slipped at in an interview. He people were asking him about. They were asking him about working with the seagulls because there are seagulls in this, but. They didn't use a real seagull for him to... He beats a seagull to death at some point. That wasn't a real seagull. It was like a rubber chicken, he said. (laughs) He said it was literally a rubber chicken that they dressed up like a seagull that he was, like, hitting against. But he really only met one seagull. And I guess they were trying to ask him about the final scene where the seagulls are eating him alive. Um, But he was like... Oh, I mean, that wasn't me. Uh, and then he, like, looked at Robert Eggers like, I mean, oh, shit. He was kind of just like, oh, I mean, it was me. So I assume they used either a body double or they used some kind of, like, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Like a, like a, a mannequin dummy. kind of thing. Yeah. Like a dummy, yeah. It looks really good, but it could just be that they're good at computer effects. Yeah. Um, everything looks so seamless in this movie, too. Like, the mermaid uh, effects, I don't know if it was primarily makeup or if it was computer generated but that mermaid when they like because like you see like he the first time you see the mermaid in full view rob pattinson's like oh it's a pretty lady and then he's like oh like you see like a regular like shoulders chest belly button and then all of a sudden next to the belly button there's gills and you're like 
well, that's kind of weird. And then there's like, oh, and there's then then you see the mermaid vagina, but it looks very like real. Like it's a very good job of the makeup because it does look like what a mermaid would look like if they were real. And she's not like to- like she's very pretty, but then like she's got like it's weird because you see a tail when she's sitting on the rock laughing at Rob Pattinson's character, but then. In other points, she's got, like, um, like tentacles, like an octopus. So who knows? Which was that weird scene with yeah. like, Rob's looking up at the light, which is what I was trying to get to earlier, and I am talk too much. But the strangest scene when they look up at the light, and there's, like, is Willem Dafoe having sex with an octopus? Is it a mermaid? Is it something else? What is it? I'm, Nobody knows. I want I want to touch upon that, because obviously... And kind of going back to the mythology, I felt like the Prometheus thing was, like, very, very obvious, where it's, like, so we know Prometheus, um, for those who are not familiar with Greek mythology, being a theater major, you have to be familiar with Greek mythology, because so many plays are written around. Speaking of, wait, I still have my Medea mask from Acting 3. Yes. It's It's Medea. Like, Yeah. I mean, we've all we when you're when you're like involved in theater long enough, you 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 play you either play somebody in a Greek tragedy or you end up doing a monologue from a Greek tragedy. Yeah. And um, so with Prometheus, for those who don't know about Greek Greek mythology, Prometheus was a titan, and he stole fire. He stole fire to give to humanity, and Zeus was not very happy about that. So he was like, "Yeah, you're getting punished." So. Every day for the rest of eternity, Prometheus has to get his intestines picked out by an eagle and then suffer the same fate the very next day. So, you know, whatever um, Winslow or Tommy sees in the light, you have this feeling that it was very taboo, very taboo. Um, but this mm-hmm. goes, and we do know, because Rob, uh, Robert Eggers actually did say this. So, William Defoe, whether he has similarities or he is actually this character, there's something that ties him very much to um, Proteus, who is a shapeshifter. Proteus? Proteus, thank you. Proteus, okay. yeah. Who's a shapeshifter. He's the son of nephew, uh, the son of nephew, the son of Neptune. Um, and he's just kind of like this guy who mm-hmm. is like um, a friend to the sea animals, and he knows a lot about the ocean, and um, he, like, he's almost like a trickster, too, which all falls into character with um, William Zafo's Thomas Wake's character. And that is, that is true. He also calls on Triton or yeah. whatever you want to call or Neptune, whatever you want to call him, uh, to curse Rob Pattinson's character after he's like, you killed a seabird. And that's a, they get all into like the supernatural, like uh, superstitions of uh sailors which just made me think of uh michael scott about i'm not superstitious i am a little stitious oh i miss the office the whole seabird thing also reminded me of one of my favorite short stories which is the rhyme of the ancient mariner which as we know the ancient mariner kills the albatross and to punish them to punish Uh him they make him wear the albatross around his neck and then his whole freaking crew dies and so it's all because he kills the albatross. He brings bad luck on the ship. And there's a lot of that kind of mythology. But the reason I want to bring up, um, and I'm probably, I don't know what my pronunciation I'm having. Proteus? Proteus? Proteus. Proteus. Thank you. Proteus. So with Proteus. It's a lot, it's a lot like, 
more mundane than you think it's going to be. It's yeah. like when I accidentally say Canadian instead of Canada. I'm like, I don't know why I think it's Canadian. I'm like, Canada? Yes. Okay. But Proteus. 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 So uh, with Proteus, you know, there is that scene where it's kind of like, and it's open to interpretation, but I really feel like there is like a supernatural element and maybe um thomas is proteus because you know if you you're thinking about like you even see that scene where of course he's on top of him he transforms into the mermaid but he also transforms into like a version of oh, himself yeah. like the little horn and it's great when he's like his little horn he just starts laughing and i was like oh what the hell's going on now what is going on <laughs> okay uh yeah no i think robert eggers is very into mythology and folklore. The witch is real in the Vivitch. I think the mermaid, I think everything's real. It's just how much of it is real. Yeah. When does it start becoming real? Because Rob Pattinson's character does, since they're both called Thomas, I'm just calling them by the actor's name. Uh, he does take a really nasty fall. And that's after he wakes up is when time starts getting confusing for him. So, I mean, you could make the argument that it's all a dream. I don't think so. I don't Because either. Robert Pat, not Robert Pat- Patterson, Pattinson, sorry, I mispronounced his name. Robert Pattinson, uh, Robert Eggers is very into folklore and he's not about, he's not about it. He is realistic, but he makes mythology seem real. Like what yeah. would folklore be if it was in the real world? And I like that about the witch. Because you do feel like you're in the 1600s. And what would happen if a random goat was the devil and was trying to kill your family and get you on his side? What would you do if you were being tortured by Proteus? And if, if we're saying that he's being tortured by Proteus, Proteus, I think, is a demigod, not quite a god, but probably a demigod. The gods like to torture human beings. Yeah. In mythology, they just, like, played with human beings like they were playthings. So, I think that's definitely an argument. I mean, it, you can also say, oh, well, after he took a fall, he was imagining everything. Or it could be a, um, what is it, an incident in Owl Creek kind of thing where, like, yeah. he's dying. Yeah. But this is what's all that's happening in, like, the five seconds it takes to him to, him to die. Or the other thing, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a limb, but... The other thing, I don't really think this, but I'm sure someone will bring this up. They're both named Tom. Yeah. Are they the same person yeah. at different ages? And he's fighting with himself? Because yeah. uh, old Tom does bring up, like, I'm probably just a figment of your imagination. Which, why would you say that to a crazy person? Like, well, in the, the world, you bringing that up, and that's something that you... I, I agree that's kind of a stretch, but it's not out of the realm of the possibility because I think of the scene where, you know, he's talking about killing the seagull and he just smacks the shit out of him. He's like, you don't kill mm-hmm. the seagull. Like, it's mm-hmm. almost like mm-hmm. he's trying to correct what's already happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, I also find it interesting that the seagull was one eye and we see Rob with the one eye at the end. So, is the seagull... I didn't pick up on that. But yeah. I believe you. <laughs> yeah. Like, but I'm sure it, it happens. Or is the or is the seagull the seagull the dead wiki that came before him trying to warn him? Oh yeah, that was weird. 
Yeah. I know. And then he finds, like, a dead body. I'm like, but is it a real dead body or is it not? I don't know. But I kind of... Usually it would frustrate me. I usually say the only person who can be this confusing on film and I still enjoy is David Lynch. I like Robert Eggers and he is so confusing in this movie, but not in like, not a frustrating way. You're supposed to feel frustrated because these people feel frustrated. They're in a terrible situation. It doesn't matter if the mermaids are real or if the mermaids are fake. Something is driving them crazy and you're just on along for the ride. And yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it's a roller coaster and I like it. It's, it's not, it's not boring. And I really like that. It's, a, it's just a good movie. And I'm still, I'm still mad it didn't get nominated for more Oscars. I'm sad it didn't win cinematography because yeah. they used lenses as old as 1905. Most yeah. of them were from the thirties, but they used some lenses were as old as 1905 and like, it's hard to shoot on film nowadays. Like, it's hard to get your hands on it. And the only other person that really that does it is Quentin Tarantino refuses to shoot on digital. Yeah. Um, which, his movies look great. Um, I thought, I just, I finally saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like, a few weeks ago. And it looks great. You couldn't really tell the difference between digital and not. Because, but, I mean, you can. There are bad digital movies. But... Uh, Quentin Tarantino is a good filmmaker, so he makes it work. And Robert Eggers is a good filmmaker. But I'm wondering, I don't know how you feel about this, uh, Brittany, but I'm wondering, are Ari Aster and Robert Eggers going to become, like, the next um, Martin Scorsese's? Are they never going to win an Oscar until they're, like, 65? And then everyone's like, and it's not even their best movies. It's just like, uh, I mean, this one was pretty good because they directed it. Um, I don't know if they don't like giving laudits to young directors or if it's that it's a smaller movie, but yeah. I I don't know. I feel like this movie would have been perfect for the Oscars. Um, and I'm curious. I love that Parasite won so much. Yeah. I loved Parasite. I hope we talk about Parasite at some point. I loved Parasite, but I am kind of sad it, that this year it came out because... I really wanted the lighthouse to get stuff just because I mean I don't think either one's more deserving of the other. I think they both were so good. Yeah. I'm not mad at I can't be mad at Parasite for winning because it's a beautiful, well done movie that I'm really happy about it winning. But I'm sad that the lighthouse didn't get more nominations, at least, especially Willem Dafoe. That man has been working in Hollywood on so many good movies and bad movies, but he's just been working and he never gives a haphazard or half-assed performance. He always gives it his all. And he's good. And I don't understand why they don't give him an Oscar. I think he deserves it. Sorry, Leonardo DiCaprio. I think Willem Dafoe has been putting in more hours than you have. And I think he's a much more humble person as well. I think, so I'm, I think I two know. things I will say about that is, um, and this is speaking from someone, um, I've been watching... Everyone knows the Academy Awards is like my Super Bowl. Living in the South, we hear talk about football all year round, and I get that kind of hype for the Awards. I know I'm not a football. I mean, yeah, I'm not a football fan. I don't have an athletic bone in my body, but I I play fantasy football for with my friends because they ask they needed an extra person, but that's about it. Like I'm not super into football. I'm just not super into sports, and it's probably because I'm not good at them. But I, I love the, I love the Oscars. I love it. Um, that being said, though, I think one, 
Um, the Oscars just don't. I, I think it goes back to when we talk about scary movies and. I feel like there's two camps of people. They either love scary movies or they hate them. You very, we barely, very rarely meet people that are just like, oh yeah, I mean, I'll watch a scary movie. It's okay. You have people that they're yeah. all pumped or they're just, they don't like them. And a lot of times it's because they're like, there's so much scariness going on in the world. They don't want to watch in their films and that's okay. But as we know, as horror movie lovers, there's usually some deeper metaphor going on. Um, that being said, I think a lot of the Academy, um, I think they like movies that are bleak, but I think a lot of the times the ones that hit well, hit home are more optimistic or they're touching upon really big social issues. And if we ever get to Parasite, yeah. we will touch on that. I don't I don't even know if I would call The Lighthouse a horror movie. I definitely would call The Witch a horror movie because it's a lot gorier yeah. and it is scary. But I don't even think this is scary. I think it's a character. Uh, I think it's a drama, in my yeah. opinion, the way it's acted. And that's also like, we talked about how The Exorcist, which is now on Shudder, and I might actually have to watch it now. Yeah. Um, how The Exorcist, and I have seen half of it. I just, when when people start getting demony, I get weirded out. Um, but it's produced like a drama. It's acted like a drama. It's presented as a drama about someone who has a sick child. Yeah. And how do we fix this? And it just so happens that there might be a supernatural bent to that this is how i feel about the lighthouse i feel like it is a drama about two people who are antagonizing each other it's what they call a two-hander where there's just two people antagonizing each other the whole time and it just so happens to be a little spoopy a little scary but mostly strange um but i don't know if i'd call it a horror movie but i think people assumed it was and i don't know if that's a marketing flaw because a24 I love A24. I Thank you, A24, for releasing movies that are well-made and thoughtfully made. But And they give freedom to their directors, so that's great. But they do some weird marketing stuff where they will make things seem like they're scary, spooky movies, and then they're not. Yeah. And I kind of like it because the movie's not generally spoiled for you. Like, think about Hereditary, how everybody thought... Charlie was going to be the main character yeah. and that's how they marketed it and then when you see it you're like oh god her head's off in like five minutes like oh my god spoilers for hereditary um but we did that in our first episode so I yeah. hope people have listened to that one um but uh, you know they do this a lot with movies where yeah. they will present like I remember it comes at night I thought it was gonna be like a spooky scary like thriller and then it was more of just like a character drama about what would happen if kind of like there was a disease that was killing everybody and like it was more about the tr trust issues in their like little group of survivors than it was about anything scary so i don't know it, i don't know if it's marketing to blame for making yeah. it seem like a horror movie because i certainly i don't know i just see it more as a drama with some horrific elements but like think about marathon man marathon man is a drama but there's some really spooky uh dentist stuff there that that is a pretty harrowing scene when ugh. yeah it's a really good movie if you haven't seen marathon man it is a good movie but it is like skin crawlingly disturbing at parts yeah. a lot of movies i feel like in the 70s were um and but what i guess what i was gonna um also say about robert eggers though um and what i really like about robert eggers is that um nowadays i know me and you've talked about this where 
it seems like people are trying so hard for the Oscar. They it's so coveted. It's something they want. Yep. Robert Eggers doesn't seem like that type of director. I feel like this man could go his whole life and not have any Academy Award, and he'd just be happy doing his little movies. Um, I remember very recently. I'm wondering if you saw the same interview, but it just really sometimes people say things that strike strike me. They strike me, and when I think about people, I come back to these moments that strike me. And the interviewer um said, do you believe that um, mermaids and mythology still hold spells over people? And he's like, well, they do me. And I mean. Yeah, I saw me, that interview. Yeah. I love it. I love it because it's like he's real. he may make these movies for people to enjoy, but he's really making these movies for him. And like that's sometimes the best movie is has that little nugget of truth. And that's kind of um, with Parasite. They weren't going out to make an Oscar-winning movie. They were going to make a good movie. And that's why it was so deserving of winning is because it's just a good movie. There's nothing. There's no Oscar bait. There's nothing, like, spoon-fed to you. There's nothing over-the-top and dramatic. It's just a good, entertaining movie. And I watched. I finally watched The Host, which is another movie by the same director um, of Parasite. And it's kind of the same thing. It's a little, it's a little sadder. The parasite, um, but it is. It's got humor. It's entertaining. It's got this nice little balance, and like it was made because they were having fun making movies, and those are the kinds of movies you enjoy or people that are enjoying the process, even if they're miserable. Apparently, Robert Eggers was like spraying Rob Pattinson with a hose at some yes. point, <laughs> and because it was really raining, but the rain wasn't showing up on camera because they're using these older cameras that don't pick up everything. And so he had to like he had to do seven takes with a fire hose being sprayed at him. And somebody said that Rob Pattinson at some point said, Oh, I wanted to punch him in the face, which then Rob Pattinson's like, I mean, I didn't really want to punch you in the face, but Robert Eggers like, it's okay. We used the last take, so it's fine. It was totally worth it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I mean, at least he used the last take. But I mean, I, I think everybody's been through that with a good director. I, I do think when you have a good director, you will let them push you to your limits because you trust them. I was doing a show in college. I had sang this song for a couple times before, and I move a lot. And I like moving. I like moving when I sing. I like moving when I talk. I move too much when I talk. I'm very expressive. Um, and I had a director that made me sing an entire song without like moving a muscle. He made everybody in the cast hold my muscles down <laughs> while I sang it. And it was a very like eye-opening experience. It was so frustrating to go against what you would naturally do, but it taught me where I needed to move intentionally. So I wasn't just flailing about because it made the performance a lot more concentrated and a lot more uh, intense. Um, so I have a feeling Robert Eggers is a director like that where he pushes you to the limits, but he pushes you to your best possible acting self. Like, it's a good push. But I like yeah. to think that we're coming into this generation that is more mindful of how we treat our cast and our crew. I hope so. I mean, I think I think in traditional big Hollywood, I think a lot of shady stuff probably still goes on because when people get a lot of power, they tend to abuse it. And that's just kind of how human nature works. Um, but I do think 
I think that's maybe why I like these directors that do stuff with A24. It's a very small, independent company. They give the directors freedom. There's not as much money to be thrown around, so therefore there's not as much money to sway directors one way or the other. And I, I do think that is good. I think that's maybe why I tend to like movies from A24 and why they consistently have good products. Um, you know, I mean, there are uh, outliers, too, like uh, Blumhouse. They mostly produce trashy movies. Okay, but I have to, I have to but, so it, but they're fun. Oh, but I was going to say, but also, they also produced Get Out, which was one of the best movies ever. However... They ruined that movie with their trailer and like they gave the whole movie away. And I wish they had taken a page out of A24's book because I saw almost everything coming from the start of the movie, which I feel like I would have like had a better experience watching the movie if I hadn't seen the trailer, which is why sometimes I just don't watch trailers anymore. Um, but I, I, Us wasn't spoiled as much for me. I mean, I kind of figured out Us yeah. pretty early on, but... I think it was well done, although I, well, I do want to do Get Out and Us, so I won't talk too much about it. I'm just saying there's twists in them, and I feel like Blumhouse needs to be a little more discreet with their marketing, but they're used to producing, like, movies that it doesn't matter if it's spoiled or not because they're kind of shitty, but funny movies. Like, they're fun to watch. I'm not saying... They're not fun to watch. But they also have a very smart business plan where they don't spend a lot of money on these movies and then people will watch them. So until people stop watching trashy movies and giving them money, they will continue making them. But at least they have a Get Out every, like, five years. I will say, so obviously Get Out is, like, an incredible film. And this movie I'm about to talk about (laughs) is nothing like Get Out. But Blumhouse did, did do Happy Death Day. They're not all trashy, and they are very smart with business. They don't spend a lot of money on their movies, and therefore they don't lose a lot if something is a box office bomb. Like, I think that, um, what was the Fantasy Island movie they made? Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. It didn't make a lot of mo- money, but yeah. it made enough to make their budget back because they didn't spend a lot of money on it. So they have a very smart um, business plan. And so does A24. They don't have gigantic budgets on their movies either they're smaller independent they don't have huge budgets um but sometimes that makes things just so much better when you make a movie like think about the original evil dead they had no money but they like they took like a real cabin and they like messed it up like they they went to a real place they had the camera on a two by four to get all those shots like it was just like no money and it ended up being good product because they're good filmmakers and i think if somebody has good filmmaking uh, responses and um, what am I trying to say? When they have good filmmaking, not responses, but like when people have good filmmaking instincts, you don't need a a bunch of money. So Jeremy Saulnier, and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing your name, uh, is a very good instinctual director. His directing style is very, really pretty scenery, even though it's a very sad movie. Um, and he's really good, and I've all three of the movies that I've seen of his are just great, um, but he didn't have a whole lot of money, and he's been making movies with people that he's been friends with since he was, like, in high school. So, you know, I don't think you need money. There goes my Jurassic Park uh, alarm. Sorry. 
I don't think you need money um, to make a good film, but I do think you need good instincts. And I think you can have a giant budget. You can be like Quentin Tarantino, who's established enough that he has a ton of money and he can make Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and rent out actual L.A. streets and make them look like the 60s and do that and still be a good filmmaker or you can, or if you're a good filmmaker, you can have no money and make a good movie. He made a great movie with um, Reservoir Dogs. He didn't uh, have any money in Reservoir Dogs. I'm, I'm scared to go down the Quentin Tarantino rabbit hole because Tarantino's uh, one of my favorite directors. And I'm just like, oh, Bernie, don't say it. <laughs> I but, love Tarantino. I I mean, I think he's a bit of a weirdo sometimes. <laughs> but like, no more than anybody else in the world. Then him, Uma Thurman got into a really bad car accident on set with him. And he has since apologized to her about it. Other than that, I haven't really heard anything bad about him as like a co-worker. Everyone just teases him about his foot fetish. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he puts dildos in people's faces when they fall asleep on set. Yeah. But that's at least funny. It's like not as bad as I can't remember what director it was but there's some director who like if your cell phone rings on set he will like literally break your cell phone or take it away from you yeah Tarantino is it oh well (laughs) so he can be an asshole but I mean I don't know I feel like he usually he must tell people beforehand because people consistently work with him it's like David Lynch I thought David Lynch must be a very strange man because his movies are so strange just like Robert Eggers movies are so strange But they seem like genuinely nice people. And I think too often we assume that because somebody has dark thoughts or dark films, they must be a bad person. But they're getting those dark feelings out of their system. And I think that's why film is so cathartic and performance is so cathartic. Like, I like singing depressing songs and making other people cry. Not because I find joy in people being sad, but it's a cathartic experience. And I think... I don't know. That's just how I feel is when you have a cathartic experience with theater or movies. It's it, great. It, Go ahead, it, Sorry. It, no, you're good. You're good. And it can be very cathartic, but then you have movies like Amour, which um, I've watched one time and I will never watch again because there's a difference between like cathartic and just feeling hollow at the end of the movie. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. I, don't think, I don't think everyone feels that way watching Amour, but I sure did. So. <laughs> well, and it's like you know, I think Climax was the last movie we talked about. Um, Climax kind of made you feel a little empty inside. It wasn't like a cathartic experience. It was an experience. It was definitely a roller coaster of experiences. But I wouldn't say I had a cathartic experience. I was. It was more of a what the hell is going on experience. It wasn't really cathartic. I feel like the lighthouse could be very cathartic and it is, I like that Robert Eggers can have symbolism, but he doesn't force the symbolism upon you. It's very much like Jennifer Kent talking about violence towards women and people of color and taking advantage of people through colonialism. She doesn't, you know, scream it in your face. She just presents a story that presents you with all of these issues in one place and lets you make your own decision. And I think that's kind of what Robert Eggers does he kind of presents this thing that you can take as a symbol for this or that. And you can think it's real. You can think it's not real. But at least it's an experience and it's cathartic and it's fun to watch. And, I mean, I think Ari Aster does that too. But Ari Aster is a little more on the nose with what his movies are about. He picks it consciously. Like, he definitely picked grieving for Hereditary. and He definitely picked relationship issues for... Um, 
uh, Midsummer. So, you know, he's a little bit more on the nose. At least, you know, and I'm the person who hates no endings, but there is an ending to this movie, but they also leave it up to your interpretation in a smart way. Yeah. And I think if you're you're a good filmmaker, no one's going to be annoyed with you leaving it open-ended. It's like Parasite, like I said, Parasite, not to spoil anything, but the ending, you can take it as a hopeful ending or a sad ending. But they're not telling you you have to feel a certain way, even though the director did have an opinion. Um, And that's Robert Eggers, I think, has an opinion, but he doesn't force his opinion upon you. And I think those are good directors. I think we're getting away from the hold your hand director. Like, you know, all the, maybe not Marvel movies, and I haven't watched that many Marvel movies, but like a lot of like the Transformer movies where there's just, I don't know, it's just loud and obnoxious and they don't let you think. And I will say that does seem, and this is not a um, jab, but that's like a general audience because some people, they find, so movies and film, they're, they're a form of escapism. And of course, they've been that way as long as they've been around. And of course, that's why we saw the golden age of Hollywood in the 1930s when people were really needing to escape from the realities of everyday life. And I feel a lot of times when people go see those big action movies, it's just something that they can kind of drown out their thoughts because some, you know, this may be a form of escapism for me and you to watch The Lighthouse, but it's not for some people. Some people, they'd be like, what the hell is going on? Why is it in black and white? Like, <laughs> what are they saying? And so, I mean, I think, you know, some it just really depends on how, I guess, you perceive the world. And I feel like just the way me yeah. and you perceive the world, we, we yeah. like kind of diving deeper into things. And some people True. don't okay. So, yeah, it's it's okay if you don't feel the same way as us. I never want anyone to think to listen to this and think, well, I didn't think the same way, so they must not like me. Like, I don't care if you agree with me or not. Yeah. If, if you disagree with me, that's fine. I like having a conversation. Me too. This is about movies. This isn't about anything important. <laughs> I love movies, but they're not important like in the grand scheme of life. It's a I love it as an art, but it is an art and it is important. And I love professional artists. I love people that are professional and have a good work ethic. And I think both of everyone on this movie did. I mean, the crew built that whole set. It seemed like everyone had a really good work ethic and everybody really took it seriously. I don't know. People that are self-important about their movies. I tend to like just stop listening to them at some point. Which is why I enjoy listening to Robert Eggers because he's actually like... Uh, I don't know. I made a ghost store in a lighthouse, and uh, you, you take it however you want. I don't care. Whereas Willem Dafoe's like, apparently Willem Dafoe's like, oh, I mean, like, it's definitely a homoerotic movie. Like, yeah. like oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. Love, I love it. Literally, a quote from Dafoe is, we all have a little woman of, in us. We all have a little woman in us. Like, Oh, wait, there was another quote. I love that quote. That I didn't actually read that one, but there was another lady. There, it, uh, What is this? Michaela Barton of Flip Screened said, I meant to say this when we were talking about the homoeroticism, this film is so clearly gay that an analysis of its homoerotic subjects would be like arguing the sky is blue. So, <laughs> I was just like, okay, I mean, I... But then Robert Eggers refused to concretely state whether the characters are gay or straight, stating, am I saying these characters are gay? No, I'm not saying they're not either. Forget about the complexities of human sexuality or their particular inclinations. I'm more about questions than answers in this movie. 
which I think is why there's so much to talk about in this movie, yeah. is that he doesn't tell you how you should think or what the characters have to be. You can put yourself in their own shoes because they maybe they're gay. Maybe they're straight. Maybe they're crazy. Maybe they're sane. Maybe a mermaid's real. Maybe it's not. Well, Katie. You can put yourself in their shoes. What? And I was about to say, so Katie, as we as we start to wrap up our conversation about the lighthouse, I do have one question for you before we get into our rating system. Okay. What do you, what, what do you think was in the light? God. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And I like that I don't know. I I think I actually wrote in my notes, I was like, what is the light? Is it <laughs> is it sex? Is it gratification? Is it happiness? Is it symbolic? I don't like I don't know. I and I think I, that's why I like this movie is because yeah. you don't have to say, but I think you could take it in a lot of different ways. You could take it. It is sex. It is woman. Or maybe it's just... That's what I'm saying. I would rather define it... If it is sexual gratification, I just want to define it as sex. Because I don't want to label these characters as... Oh, they definitely like women or they definitely like men. That's not important. It's sex. They obviously like lighthouses. They what? I said they don't like... They obviously like like lighthouses. That is their... Oh, yeah. I mean... that. Oh, wait. That was another thing that we forgot. When we were talking about the penis thing... He didn't put a penis on screen, but he did. There's a scene where there's several scenes where Rob Pattinson's masturbating. God love him. Apparently, one of those scenes was his first day on set. So God love him. What a professional actor. That must be weird. Um, but one of the scenes, they literally take a picture of a lighthouse and flip it up from the side to up while he's like getting hard. And I was like, that's yeah. a little. I see what you're doing there, Robert Eggers. But anyways, I just was like, oh, symbolism. But, like, at least it's, like, in-your-face symbolism. <laughs> in-your-face. Anyways. <laughs> anyways, I, I don't know what the light is. What do you think the light is, Brittany? I I mean, I, I don't know either. And I love Eggers' little cheeky answer when he gets asked about the light. He goes, oh, I can't tell you or else you'll go insane. And, you know, um... I definitely... It's like Neil Breen, but smart. Like, have you ever seen... You've seen a Neil Breen movie, right? Like, what can you tell me a few? Uh, if you know who Neil Breen is, oh my god, please comment about it. So Neil Breen is like Tommy Wiseau, but much more prolific. And okay. he is a real estate agent out of Las Vegas. And he makes these movies where... Like, there's baby doll heads in the desert, and it's just, oh my god, it's great. It's like watching somebody's fever dream. I totally stole, stole that quote from a Red Letter Media episode where they watched one of them. But it is like watching somebody's, like, dreams. It's just bizarre. But there's, like, a screening where people ask him, like, so what do the baby doll heads mean? He's like, well, leave that to your own interpretation. And the entire audience just groans at him. Yeah. But Robert Eggers isn't Neil Brain. Anyways, sorry. No, you're good. You're good. I kind of I kind of thought the only reason I just going back to mythology, I I can't help but think that it's it's kind of something infinite. It's something unhuman. And that's why I think back to that kind of Lovecraftian lore that if you like kind of see the old ones, it can drive you insane. And 
whatever he sees in there, if it's infinite knowledge, if it's some kind of godly being that he's not supposed to witness, it gives him an ecstasy, but it drives him crazy. Um, and yeah, because so he does go crazy of, after that. Mm-hmm. But okay, so we I feel like we touched on a lot of great stuff and I was I was so stoked to talk about this movie and I'm so excited. Um I have to know, give me your rating system for it. Oh, but first, are we gonna do what did we like and what did we not like? Yeah, okay, yes, ma'am, you go first. Oh, I well, I I think we've already talked about what we like. Maybe we should say, is there anything we didn't like about this movie? Because I think we've we've praised it enough. Is there anything we didn't like about this movie before we do our rating system? You know what? I, I really can't think of anything that I just that really just sticks out to me that I dislike. Okay. I mean, the only thing I didn't like, I both loved and hated the fact that I had to watch it with subtitles. Mm-hmm. I think that could turn some people off, but and the language is hard to uh, it's hard to understand if you I mean, I'm not familiar with main lighthouse keepers of the 19th century. Um, but I that was kind of tricky. And I do think it's more accessible with subtitles now than it probably was in theater. So I think now people probably wouldn't have that problem. But yeah, go ahead. Do you want to do your rating first? Yes. Um, so I gave, <laughs> I gave this movie a rating of F for Fond of the Lobster. <laughs> I, um, I gave it a rating of H for homicidal homoeroticism. Oh, that's good, too. <laughs> Um, and then, like, as far as, like, recommendation, like, I gave it, like, a five watchability because I don't think there's any way you could just turn this movie off. Yeah. It's really good. Um, it's not super gory. I gave it a three for gore because the gore doesn't really happen. I think maybe there's some body horror mm-hmm. kind of aspects. I don't know. It's I didn't, I didn't find it overly gory because it's in black and white. But the acting, I mean, I was getting some Daniel Day-Lewis vibes. So I would want to rate it five, but since everyone got Oscar snubbed, I guess we'll choose a four because uh, it's got to be a Meryl Streep because uh, she loses some Oscars and visuals are just great. I'd give it like a four, but I mean, I definitely want to rate this movie like, I mean, I want to say 10 out of 10. I I hate saying 10 out of 10 because that's like impossible. So I'll give it a nine out of 10 with the possibility to become a 10 out of 10 upon later viewing like maybe i'll watch this in a year and be like ah i hate it but i don't think so i think i agree with you i'm a nine out of ten too like to me it's hard the 10 is elusive i can't think of a movie to me that just gets a perfect 10 Uh, my perfect rating would probably be a 9.5 uh but this one this one's near perfect it's a nine for sure for me really good it's just really and i mean i'm not even saying it's enjoyable but I wasn't bored watching it at all and I watched it twice I wasn't bored so yeah I would say it's it's really good um so I guess now we're at do we choose the next movie what are we gonna watch next I believe that is your turn ma'am so it is my week to choose for our next one and since we talked about it so much uh, about Oscar buzz let's do Parasite it's great. Parasite. Yeah. I, I, I definitely want us coming in next week chanting Parasite. Parasite. Because okay. I loved that movie. It was like my little, like, I was so excited about it winning um, because it was just such a good movie. Although I don't think I was able to see it. I think I saw it right before the Oscars, but I don't think I saw it, like, way before. But I just heard so much buzz about it. But I really like it, and it's not 
it's an enjoyable movie, and it is streaming on Hulu right now. So I'm looking forward to doing Parasite. And anything else about The Lighthouse? Thank you I for think- choosing it. Oh no! Thank you, thank you. Um, it was an enjoyable experience. I'm real. I think we. I no final words on the lighthouse. Um, except maybe just to let people know that it is one of those movies. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a cult movie. Um, you're gonna hear about it probably years from now. It's gonna be brought up in conversation. It's gonna be on movie lists. Um, what for? I do not know yet, but I do know we're gonna see um, it. Homoerotic homicide. Um. Oh, yeah, we didn't even say how it ends. Like, they, he murders him and then gets murdered. He buries yeah. him in the ground. We didn't even say that. Um, it's fine. It's a little surprise. Um, I I love this movie. I'm so glad we did it. And it was such a fun movie to talk about because there's so much to talk about. I hope, I hope there's a lot to talk about with Parasite, but I think there will be because it is a very interesting movie that you can interpret a couple different ways. And, I mean, Bong Joon-ho is, He's a really good director. If if you like Parasite, I would highly recommend The Host. It's more of a monster movie, but it's also really, really good. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about Parasite because I've been wanting to talk about it for a while. And not people have seen it, but not enough people I know have seen it. So it's nice to have an outlet to just like spew my um, emotional love of movies into a microphone every once in a while, you know. Oh, yeah. And it's nice to know that there's people listening, even if it's just 45 of you all. We are very appreciated. Appreciative okay. of our Yeah. So. I don't care. I'm just excited people want to listen because I, we aren't doing this to, like, make money or anything. We're just kind of doing this for fun. So I guess with that, we will sign off. Um, follow us on Instagram. We have our Captivate dot fm grindhouse girls podcast website we also have grindhouse girls pod.com that you can go to that we will it's more of a blog but we'll also have um the episodes on there as well and we might have some extra um stuff i don't know like stuff (laughs) that we're thinking about um i know i put the rating system that we kind of uh forgot about i'm trying to do it but i don't know if it's really working um but uh thanks so much for listening Brittany, anything else you wanted to add? Uh, no, ma'am. Just really excited about Parasite next week. Um, parasite. 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 As always, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Um, always please share your thoughts in the comments below. And we appreciate you. And stay safe, stay well, and watch the movies. Watch the See movies. See you all later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. The Grindhouse Girls podcast is recorded by Brittany Rank and Kate Hale and edited by Kate Hale. Uh, if you have any inquiries or questions for us, please visit our website at grindhousegirlspod.com. All rights reserved.